Okay, something, how about something a little different today? Is that okay, Alfredo? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, let's do it. So we've had a few of these about a year ago, actually, and uh, I think Mary Allred talked about giving us a new name, and the new name she gave us was... Tofredo. Tofredo. So this is, <laughs> this is Tofredo this morning, and I uh, hope you all don't mind. This is kind of nice to sit back at this exact moment. This is something that doesn't happen very often, and... Uh, we are in the middle of this series. It says, flow behind me. This is, week, this is week three of six. And flow is a conversation. Flow is a summer sermon series on finding God at work in our world and getting on board with the flow of what God is doing. And we've chosen to go into the book of order interestingly enough, for Presbyterians. The Book of Order has uh, this phrase, the six great ends of the church. Because we believe as Presbyterians, and I even as a pastor as well, uh, really suggest that those great ends of the church is what every individual church ought to be about, and it's what God is about in the world through the church, capital C. So the first week you talked and preached and, and challenged folks on the preservation of the truth, and the truth that morning is or was Jesus, Jesus the Christ, right? And two weeks ago we had uh, Jim Lashana here with us, and he talked about the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. Now it's fascinating this kind of language because we Presbyterians, we love language, right? And it reads oftentimes like a, a wonderful devotional or a legal document. So we've translated the six great ends of the church into one simple word. Let's just get in the flow of what God's doing. Exactly. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about the maintenance of divine worship. The maintenance of divine worship. Before we get into maintenance of divine worship, I, I wanted to unpack briefly this word flow. And we've all experienced flow in our life. I know we have. Have you ever been so into a project or so engrossed in what it is that you're doing that you've lost all track of time? You've been having a wonderful time getting into this event or project or thinking or dissertation. And uh, you lose track of time. Have you ever had experiences like that? where time almost becomes meaningless because you're just so into it, and it's rewarding and it's fun. Friends, that's flow. Just be careful with the flow. Just be careful with the flow. Why is that? What kind of flow you have. What kind of flow you have. Yeah, you're wrecking my flow right now is what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I love you. You know that. So flow is that zone. It's that losing track of time. I recently was able to, uh, in June, I, I visited four different churches, and uh, two of them were PCUSA churches. Two of them were not PCUSA churches. One was a mission church with about 30 people worshiping in a room about a quarter of the size of this, and uh, maybe twice the size of this stage, actually. And they had a lot of the same setup, but it was in the corner. It was 25-year-olds leading in worship, and they had they had uh, breakfast and brunch set up, and kids were running around. It was truly an intergenerational uh, experience. It was a mission start. It was in Fullerton. It wasn't far from here, but it was, a, it was a dramatically different environment. And that's one of the places 
that I was able to visit. Another place that I visited was in Minneapolis, uh, an emerging church called Solomon's Porch, and I've talked a little bit about Solomon's Porch, but they uh, went into South Minneapolis and purchased an old abandoned church building, and so it has the accoutrements, the aesthetics of the sanctuary. But what they did was very interesting. They took out all the pews, and they asked people to bring from their homes old chairs or couches and end tables, and that's how they provided seating in the sanctuary. And they were, they were organized in different clusters around the floor. Now, we couldn't do it in this room because our floor is slightly slanted, uh, but their floor was flat. And so all throughout their whole sanctuary about this size, they had clusterings of old chairs and couches and with a table. This, the speaking was done in the center, and the praise band was in the center, and I thought this was fabulous. Hanging from the ceiling was a 15-foot uh, goose. And I made the mistake uh, of saying, that is the coolest duck hanging from your ceiling. <laughs> and, they, and I offended them, right? So that wasn't a good thing. But they said, actually, it's a goose. It's the Celtic symbol for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you'll read of the Wild Goose Festival, and there are a Christian festival around the country where it's called the Wild Goose Festival, and you go, and it's a, it's a chasing after the Spirit, because you never really know where the Spirit of God is going to take you. So Celtic Christians uh, symbolize the Spirit of God as a goose, because you don't know where the goose is going to take you. And it's a very fascinating congregation that's very active in Minneapolis. They only sing songs that are written by their people. And when it comes time for communion, it's instituted by the pastor. And then the elements are already on the smaller tables around, and the cluster groups serve themselves. That was the second church I, I visited. Third church I visited was a PC USA church, been around for 70 years. And it was a large church. They had two services. The first service was traditional, and the second service was contemporary. And I was in the first service, and no offense, friends, but everybody in the first service had gray hair, and everybody in the second service had color in their hair. <laughs> and this was an interesting dynamic for me. And I asked them how they were doing with this, and they said, oh, it's become a very difficult uh, problem almost that we have. We've, we've now entered into this, uh, what did she call it, initiative. They are self-talking about themselves as being a crossover congregation, trying to get these two congregations to cross over and have body life that is one. And what started out as a really good idea has now become a very difficult dilemma to work through. And that was the third church, and the fourth church uh, was also a PCUSA church, First Presbyterian of White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Don't you just want to go and buy an ice house and go sit and ice fish in the... No, somebody said no, because that's what they do, actually, in the middle of winter. That church is older than this church. It was established in 1865. They have one, one church service that's very traditional, 
uh, with a few younger families. They do have screens, but they're struggling to take it to the next level. I tell you all this for one simple reason. doesn't matter where you go. doesn't matter what church you sit in. doesn't matter what denomination. There are certain things that always happen on a Sunday morning. And it's called worship. Worship. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, directing all that we are, all that we have, all that we hope to become, Godward and into the presence of God. So I've had a fun week asking a few of you a question. This question I've asked some of you, define worship for me. And uh, I, I got all kinds of responses. In fact, that would be a really cool assignment for you to come up with your own definition of worship and then share it and see if anybody has the same definition of worship. And I'm not sure what I think about that kind of diversity. Because it's all together. It's all together, but the expectations are all over the place in that. So I I chose to uh, wrestle with one, and I'm going to give you my definition of worship. Is that cool? So here's my definition of worship. And it goes like this. Worship, I think there's a, a slide for this. Worship is a communal act of the whole person directed to God for who God is, what God is doing, and what God will do. Worship is a communal act of the whole person. And let me unpack that a little bit. Worship happens in community. It's a little different than devotion or private worship. But the people of God come together in a congregation, in an assembly, in a gathering, and we worship together. And it is an act of the whole person. Mind, right? Words, body, spirit, soul. There are times when uh, we will go to other places. I've worshipped at uh, St. Mark's, a Vespers service in Seattle. And it's uh, very common for people to come and they're laying on the floor. Some other people kneel. Other people stand. They raise their hands. We do that a little bit here. We're kind of getting into the Presbycostal thing. Uh, That's a movement for us, I think. But it's a whole body response to what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. So if you want to test that, let's take a look at a couple of scriptures. And uh, let's read John 4, 23 and 24, and then Acts 2, 42. Here's our texts for the day. And then we're going to give five reasons to worship weekly. And we're going to go fast. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There it is. Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and worshipers must worship in spirit and in the truth. In Acts 2.42. Look at this word. They. They. Notice the plurality, the communal nature of this. They 
gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing here. Fellowship. That's what we'll do afterwards. Breaking of bread. We do that once a month. And to prayer. We do that multiple times. And song is an aspect of prayer. But I like that word they. The communal nature of they gathered together in one place. The body of Christ. Now note, this active worship of God may lead to affections or feelings that we have for God. But a caution. Those feelings and those forms, those warm fuzzies, that's not God. That's the result of the encounter with God. And I think that's gotten the church in the 20th century and 21st century into a little bit of misplaced expectations. I think there's five reasons to worship weekly. And uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of them. And then you're going to talk about a couple of them. And then you're going to lead us into a challenge. Does that sound cool? Mm -hmm. Are you doing all right? Yeah. Okay, good. You're kind of quiet. I have to. You're talking. I know, yeah. (laughs) It's because I'm in the flow. It's just making me nervous. You're never this quiet, man. Okay, five reasons. Five reasons to worship God weekly. All right? Reason number one. Here it is. Worship is practice for eternity. Worship is, when we gather together, we're practicing for eternity. This is, this is a preview of heaven. Bill Gates, uh, in, in a book uh, that Malcolm Gladwell wrote a number of years ago, uh, what was the name of that book? Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell interviewed Bill Gates about his success as a computer software designer. And he said, my success as a computer software designer was that I had access to the University of Washington's computer lab because my parents worked there, and I could go after school and work all through the night learning code. And he said this, I practiced 10,000 hours before I even got to college on writing code. 10,000 hours of practice is what is required to bring us a significant amount of proficiency into an act. So worshiping weekly is our preparation and practice for heaven. It's the 10,000 hours of preparation for what will become eternity. I'm fascinated by that. A.W. Tozer, a spiritual writer, said this, anyone on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship, and this is provocative, is just not ready for heaven. So reason number one to worship God weekly, we're practicing. Reason number two, worship reestablishes where our security in life truly lies. Uh, a number of weeks ago, it seems like a long time ago now, Don and I went to vacation to Lake Tahoe. Anybody been there? Lake Tahoe? Yeah. Beautiful, right? If you haven't been to Lake Tahoe, go check it out. It's very paradoxical because you're at the beach and it's 80, 85 degrees and the water's nice and crisp and cool, 
and yet there's snow-capped mountains behind you in the scenery, so it just kind of messes with your mind. But Emerald Bay, in, in one of the little inlets uh, in, called Emerald Bay, Fanette Island, uh, a gal, uh, Lori Knight, uh, built a Viking's castle on the mainland, and then there's a little island apart from her home, and she built this little tea house on the island. And I love this little tea house. Uh, she would take her guests to the tea house every Sunday afternoon in a boat. She would ferry them out in a boat, and they would have tea and conversation. And I thought, what an amazing picture of what it means to spend time with God. God so delights in that kind of personal and intimate communal relationship with us and goes to great lengths for us to spend time with God in a place that is secure and safe. And I can remember driving around. We didn't go down because it was a two-mile hike and I was on vacation, so two, I did the math. Two miles down and two miles back, that's a four-mile four hike. That's not a vacation to me. Could it be fun? It might be fun, but it's still not a fun vacation. Okay. So um, anyway, we, we stood up above and watched this, and it was fascinating. There were boats all around the outside. They were just checking it out, and there were some people on the inside. And up on the lookout above it is where we uh, took our stance and observed this and had a wonderful time, and I just thought, what a great picture of what worship can be. It establishes our security in the presence of God, and God is immovable. Will we take the time to bask in that kind of presence? Because that's where our security lies in our relationship with God. And yet, I'm going to double ring you here for a minute, and yet it's not always that secure because the Spirit of God is a wild goose and we never know where the goose is going to take us when we've spent time in the tea house. Annie Dillard has a, an amazing quote and I want to read it and I've given you only a part of it here. But she writes this. On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe the power of the Word of God? And she gets a little snarky here, but that's okay. The churches are children, are children playing on the floor with chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to explode and kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ush and I like this picture. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. Well, let's seatbelt instead. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. That's worship. That's worship. All right, third reason uh, of the five, and then I'm going to 
Tag, I'm out. Tag, you're in. Is that cool? Third reason is uh, worship is just a healthy lifestyle. Worship is part of a healthy lifestyle. Um, When we gather together to worship, it's a communal affair. And it's different than devotions. Devotions are done as an individual. And you're going to talk a little bit more about this. But corporate worship is an official act of the people of God directed to the person of God. Meant to be entered into with extreme awe, respect for all, and a recognition that there's room for everyone in the presence of God. And just like our bodies need food to nourish us and water to sustain us, so our soul and our spirit need to be sustained through corporate worship every week with the God that is. So three of the five reasons to worship weekly. And my friend, tag, I'm out. Okay. Tag, you're in. Can you preach on your toes while sitting? I definitely can try. So two boys were having a conversation in worship, by the way. And one of them asked the other, hey, what is it that they are always asking us to be quiet in worship? The other little kid told him, it's because they are, they are, they are sleeping. <laughs> nice. So sometimes, you know, we see a place of worship, and it could be a very boring place if we don't know what we are there for. You know, and that's why I think there is two dimensions in worship. Although I do believe that the communal, communal or the community part of it is very important, the other part, the private part um, of worship is very important. And you see in the Bible there are several people, a good number of people, worshiping God, trying to find God alone. Not because they don't want to be with other people, it's because they needed to experience God in a particular way. We have Jesus praying alone sometimes. We have Paul praying alone. We have other people, other, uh, even Zara, when she was laughing about God giving, him a, giving her a son, she was there somehow praying. So we have these two dimensions. And I do believe that when we worship, our ability to love God has increased. Hmm. You know, when you are alone with God or when you are with people and worshiping God, that sense, that affection that you were talking about increases because we have a different picture that is increasing with, with the ability to uh, know God and with the uh, uh, opportunity, better to say, to know God. Let me give you an example. Last Friday, uh, we're, uh, we're having a, this conversation at the bridge, and how for the last four weeks, I have been coming out of the bridge with a sense that I needed to think about what they say, because they were talking about God in a way that sometimes I didn't think about it. I haven't, I haven't thought about it. Like Roy, uh, two weeks ago, he was talking about 
Peter. And so that conversation is all about Peter. And then he says something about Peter I never thought about before. And I started to see Peter in a different way. And I started to think about myself kind of worshiping God in a different way too. Um, so I will not talk to you about, in detail about what he said because I want him to be here when I say that. But basically, he was talking about how Peter, if he, uh, he did, actually he lost track of everything that was happening just because he found Jesus, Jesus in a different uh, situation, a different uh, circumstance. And he was like taken, totally taken, and worshiping Christ even though, by the way, the boat was sinking. He was in the flow. He was in the flow. So there is this personal or private dimension and this uh, communal uh, dimension that enriches our way to love God, mm. our way to get to know God better. And um, if you are born in church, you got to pay attention because that is telling you a story about yourself. Yeah. Worship should be, should be fascinating to us. But if it's not, maybe that is telling you and me a story, telling us maybe you are spending so much time worrying, maybe. Maybe we are so worried and so concerned about something that we don't have a space to worship. So that, that's a, a part that I'm thinking that we need to take in consideration when we are worshiping. Are we bored? Are we excited? How are we feeling when we come or we actually, when we actually do our private uh, devotions? The other part of, of worship is that worship delights God. You see, let me ask you a question, Tommy. Um, do you think God has any need at all? Does he need anything? So... Does God need anything? Yeah. Does God think, need anything? I don't think God needs anything. And yet, he's looking for people to worship him. So, we just read this verse that says, um, the God, the Father, is seeking people. I don't think he's seeking them because he needs them, but I do think he's looking for them because something happens when they are looking for him. Hmm. Something happens in his own heart and something happens in the people, in the people that is worshiping that uh, delights his heart. And I think when human beings come to closer to God in worship, they have bigger chances to be healed, to be restored, to be set free for anything that is binding them. So God actually encourages worship because when you are in worship, and you find God in that particular act, you will find yourself also in a place where you discover a little bit more about yourself. You know, you will see clearly through the fog of your circumstances, of your challenges, of your problems, that maybe there is something that God wants to heal. You ever find yourself in a place when you are worshiping and you think, man, I've been hating this guy for some time. And you didn't know that until you were in the presence of God, whether it was, that was privately done or in 
in worship with other people. And then you realize that you need to do something about it. And obviously, God is excited about that because one more relationship is going to be healed. So, um, so worship has that, that, that capacity, the ability to allow us to see God, but also to see ourselves from a, from a different perspective. So um, God's presence is an amazing source, source of transformation. Um, I don't think you can come close to God and remain the same. Something will change. Um, I also believe that every time we worship him individually or in community, his character, his, who he is, is affirmed in our hearts. Like sometimes you come out of a worship service and you think, man, God really loves me. Somehow you got to see that clearly, that God really loves you. Loves you. I was hearing um, a testimony of somebody who has dedicated his life, maybe most of his life, making people laugh. And this is Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was talking recently in L.A., uh, in a ministry that is called Homeboy. Um, it's a Catholic ministry over there in Los Angeles. And he was telling these uh, ex-gang members how, because he has suffered recently, he has encountered God, and he has seen Jesus on the cross, not only that he, he was feeling doubt and, and he was feeling broken, but he was feeling that he was opening a new reality for other people. So Jim Carrey is saying, look, through my sufferings and through the pain that I have been experiencing, I have been able to see Christ. And now he's worshiping him. He happened to be raised as a Catholic, and now he's uh, singing as a Presbyterian. Really? Yeah. He's a Presbyterian now. Huh. But it doesn't matter if you're a Catholic or a Presbyterian. The point is, are you able to see Christ yeah. when you're worshiping. That's the point. If we get to see Christ when we are worshiping, then something is changing in our lives. So I was encouraged when he said something like, you know, I know you have suffered more than me, Jim Carrey, but I do believe that you can receive the same healing that I'm receiving. So you can receive healing or transformation, or liberation, whatever you need, um, if you really abandon yourself in worship. Mm. At this point, I'd like to ask you, Tobin, and, and, uh, and myself and all of us, to perhaps start practicing one thing or, or one practice that's um, will help us remember how important, worship, how important worship is. What about ourselves setting our alarms, our cell phones or any kind of alarm that you have, at 10.02, like Luke 10 verse 2 says that Jesus was commissioning his disciples to preach the gospel and to reach out to people. And how about if you put your alarm, set your alarm to that time and remember, every time that you are praying for the mission, for the work that God has given us, we, you start with just praising God, recognizing God for who he is. 
Because sometimes we are so busy asking God to do something on our behalf, on our behalf of other people, that we're probably asking with a customer service representative more than to God. <laughs> Say, can you fix this problem? Oh, I have this problem. I have this situation. What? You know, maybe it's time to say, look, I know you love me. I know you're God. I know you're wonderful. Let's, let's practice. Let's see. Can you say something about God? Uh, something that you feel or think about God? Say something about God. Ma Mark, let me start. Mike, let me start with you. Say something about God. All powerful. All powerful. God is great. Yes. You see? Yeah. It's not difficult. So when your alarm goes off, you start saying, all powerful, God of grace, I love you. You're wonderful. And then start praying for something else. Can we do that? Amen. All right. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, we are here because we recognize the importance of worship. Mm. We recognize that we worship you at an individual level, personal level, and a communal level. And we recognize that worship invites us to know you, to adore you, to recognize you, for who you are. Help us, Lord, to continue to grow in an ability to, uh, to uh, worship you and love you and follow you, to see Christ every time that we worship you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.